podcaster, I hardly know her. (laughs) Welcome to the I Hardly Know Her podcast, hosted by me, Megan McCaleb. If there's one thing I've learned in this life, it's that I still have a lot to learn. This podcast is your invitation to expand your understanding on all sorts of topics and shake things up a little bit. Listen in and learn something new from the stories, professional insights, and a wide range of expertise shared by me and my incredible guests. And remember, my friends, you don't have to be a big deal to do big things. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the I Hardly Know Her podcast brought to you by Improv Team Culture. I'm here today uh, with our fabulous producer, Jeanette Cerami, and today's guest uh, is bringing some delightful theatrical deliciousness into our ability to storytell and connect in public speaking, all the things that you guys know I'm obsessed with, uh, and possibly at levels that we don't even know yet. We're going to dive deep today. So my guest today is Misty Mejia. She's the CEO and creative producer, or producer and director of Top speaker program for executives. As a creative director, she helps high achieving speakers with curating and topic ideation, developing outstanding delivery techniques and building personal branding. I'm so good at talking. You guys, you know this about me, personal branding and support of all stages of the final production. I love to just jump right in with my guests. You can always read more uh, in the notes and, and please connect uh, my, my, uh, guests are always like so fun. The more I get to learn about them on social media. Uh, anyway, so we're going to jump right into it. So welcome to the program, Misty. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you for taking the time. I'm so excited to be here. I'm going to try not to nerd out too much. <laughs> but the nerdier, the better. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Found my tribe. <laughs> Before we started recording, you mentioned about like just even last night you were talking about or teaching about nonverbal communication stuff. Yeah. I almost feel like that's kind of where I want to start because people don't think I don't think people think about it a lot until they need to think about it and how much we're communicating with not the words we're saying. So I I don't know. I feel like we just need to dump, jump right into the deep end here because um, that's so it's so important. And a lot of people are listening. We only recently started adding video to people that get to just see us in real time. Uh, yeah. But what are your some of your favorite things in that space? What are some things that people can bring to their awareness in like the nonverbal parts of the communication that we have going on? The nonverbal part of communication is key. If we think about when we're really young, like we don't have the high verbal skills. It's Mm -hmm. just nature for us to take in all of the visual cues to understand what's happening. And so it's the same when you're presenting on stage, people only gather a certain percentage of what you actually say, but they're taking in all of the cues in your tone and your body language on whether they trust you, whether they believe anything that you're saying, if it's not in alignment, it's dead in the water. So last Mm -hmm. night when we were playing with a group of women and just talking through nonverbal, I had them just practicing, I hate, I hate this. And they had to do it with like really strong emphasis in body language. And one of the women, she was just like, I hate this. And it was just like, ooh. And it was such a good lesson for the women of, do you see how her communication with her body language is not communicating that she hates it? 
Mm. We were all just sitting there and I thanked her profusely for <laughs> doing that. And she goes, mm -hmm. well, like, I don't really hate it. And it's like, yeah, you can tell in your body language. And so having that disconnect is something that the audience sees and then they start questioning things about what you're doing and going, what mm, something's not aligning. They might not be able to pinpoint it, but it's yeah. just, they can recognize it for sure. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to, I also, we're going to backtrack and learn about like how you got to be where you are now and why you're so fascinated with like helping people in this space. But I mean, this plays out in everyday life. This plays out in our workplace. This plays out yeah. in all of the areas, right? Mm -hmm. What are, what, what are the ways we can be empowered by this information to be more in control of being authentic, being accurate, being honest with the way that our bodies and sounds are lining up with what we're really feeling. Yeah, I think it also starts with your confidence as well. When we mm. have when we are not feeling confident in a space, our body naturally plays smaller because we are trying to protect ourselves. It's something that is ingrained in us from prehistoric days, I'm sure, of like wanting to not be <laughs> the prey. I was like, okay, let me just pull all my limbs in. And so when we're not feeling confident in a space, but we need to feel confident, that's when we actually should take up more space because it helps trigger our mind into, oh, I'm safe. And then we can start from there because we have to be playing big, depending on the size of stage. You know, if you're playing in a much larger space, then your body language has to be much larger. And if you're in a smaller space, like the Zoom world or live stream world, you're going to play smaller. But just having your body first know that it's safe and then understanding what you want to communicate and then matching that. The hard thing, I think, for some people is that they feel that they have to all of a sudden <laughs> when they're learning body language, do something for every sentence mm. and either compete with yourself or you can help emphasize what you're saying. And the key is it's better to have really minimal body language than to have so much body language that it becomes distracting for an audience. And so it's just kind of making those decisions as you're presenting of, ooh, what is the most important piece that I want them to take away? Mm. And is that something that needs to be emphasized physically or can I just depend on my voice to deliver it? And so it's just a it's kind of going through your speech and making those decisions of how do I want to really play this up to make sure the point is just driven home. Yeah. Oh, I totally. I dig it. I think about how this plays out just in um, even just the way that we communicate. If we want to be like compelling in a, in a way that we communicate just in like a personal conversation. And yet we may not always have that confidence. Like there's a lot of folks that I think we haven't really felt like we have the permission or we've had that safe space to even know how it's like, quote unquote, okay to emote or to show up and to have the wherewithal to eventually like elevate it and really be in control of that. Yeah. Megan, for you as a, as a question, when, when you feel that, that what you just said was very interesting of understanding whether you're in a safe space to, for somebody to receive what you're going through, mm -hmm. do you, what is your premise on that of like, hey, I have to wait for acceptance before I can fully be 100% me? 
<laughs> Ooh, this sounds like a conversation that I've had with my therapist. Um, okay. Feel free to lay down. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Right. Because I have for a long time really understood that I'm seeking outside uh, like ex acceptance, acknowledgement, like looking for those cues externally. Right. I've looked for that like since a very young age, although I didn't realize it till I was older. Because I, when I don't feel safe, uh, uh, I know that I over, I over exaggerate stuff and I like, I'm very over the top and I try to make it very self-deprecating. Like we were doing before we started recording. I, I have some patterns that I know are true to be, are too true to who I am. Um, but it's different when I'm feeling confident and when I have processed through a certain challenging point or whatever versus when I'm feeling a little bit disconnected from myself because I don't, you know, it's either a new, a new person in my space or a new experience. And I can see where some of those things come up. And it is interesting how different it can manifest in the way my body moves, the way my face moves, like all of it, the, the yeah. over explanation and judge justification that my <laughs> mouth says it's a very interesting <laughs> space truly yeah. and I, I think that's the same for most people right it's it's that consistent search of approval especially those of yeah. us who have had lots of trauma in our life and so taking that observation about yourself is key to communicating physically as well is understanding mm -hmm. what your cues are for yourself to go Ooh, i'm really nervous right now how can I calm down my body language and just breathe for a second? And so this whole self-awareness of when this comes in, when you know you're being really excessive because you're overcompensating or just really wanting to please that person, or you're just terrified of the human in front of you going to please don't hurt me. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that self-observation is our first step. Like mm -hmm. when we're talking to somebody that we're really passionate, uh, telling them a story that we love, what does our body language look like? Okay, so when we're in a stage moment, how can we bring that exact body language to that moment on the stage so it's authentic to how we truly would act if our best friend was in front of us? But without that self-observation of how things really truly show up, you can't adjust in the moment and you can't be authentic when you're absolutely needing to be authentic <laughs> and you're just not feeling it inside. Oh yeah. Okay. I want to draw some parallels of like the theater space and, and the theater of our lives. Like I was just thinking as you were talking to like being in the public speaking space and kind of putting myself there intentionally, both with comedy and then realizing, Oh, well, people started asking me to speak at like, formal events that are like, Ooh, can you talk about improv at the workplace or whatever? And I was like, huh? You know, like <laughs> when it very first started happening and I realized that I was still thinking a lot about like character work, getting into that mode so that I knew when I was stepping on stage, that really truly is my safe space now. Cause I'm in control of the story that's being told. I'm the one speaking the awareness of how we embody our own character. Mm. Um, Anyway, like I want to like kind of see what your thoughts are in that space. And I want to know like what drew you into this, this dynamic of like your theater background and how you have morphed it into something that is so epic and important and vital in these 
other spaces untheater related. Yeah. Can I ask a more complicated question for you? It's like yeah, seven right? sentences later. <laughs> Let me take some notes. <laughs> yes, and it's like, maybe can you like learn how to shorten your questions? And I'm like, no. Let me just ask it all because I want to take it all in. Uh, yeah. For me, I think it's it's kind of this really weird journey in life. I have a degree in acting, I have a degree in directing, and then I went back to school to be an educator. And so I have all of those classes of learning how to be an educator and get students engaged. And then I went into the corporate world because why not? <laughs> I'm just like, okay, <laughs> theater degree, let's go into tech in the Silicon Valley. But I did find I was always the spokesperson for the company. I was in sales, I was in marketing, and I was the face of the company at every single company I went to. But when I was in those spaces, I also noticed women muting themselves within the boardrooms. And they would come up to me afterwards and go, oh, I wish I would have said this. And they would tell me their brilliant idea. And I'm like, oh, why didn't you say that? And they had so much fear from speaking up and the judgment that, that was going to happen that they were muting themselves. They didn't even realize no one in the room was asking them not to speak. It was just their mm -hmm. internal voice saying, oh, this isn't good enough. And without a doubt, I know you have all heard it of, hey, like I had this great idea and I said it and then somebody else said it, typically <laughs> somebody right. else of, of another gender. And they got huge praises for the idea when I was just like, hey, I just said that. And so it's a lot of unworking within the systems to really help women know that they belong at the table and claim their seat boldly. And I wanted to do something. I didn't know what it was, but I was sitting in my corporate job. I was taking care of multiple countries with the strategy and education. And I was just sitting here going, "This I don't see my trajectory here for some reason. Mm. So I started working with somebody and, and she, she gave me an assignment of write down everything that you would love to have in your day. And I was like, all right, so I do it. And then I talked to her and I was like, there's no job that exists that is this, that it's the strategy side, the education side, my theater nerdiness side. And mm -hmm. she said, that's because you need to create it. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like. Uh, do I really? <laughs> but I that excited me of just thinking, oh, I I can create it. And as a creator in that side of my brain, it just lit me up that I could do my own path. And I've been on different entrepreneurial journeys throughout my life, but never as the sole thing that I'm doing. Mm. And it was a really scary leap. And that happened in March 2020. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was supporting all of these conference and their keynote speakers. And it just was like, whoop. but luckily I'd been doing online education for years. So I was able to pivot and support all of those conferences virtually in their environments that they didn't know how to do. But it was just yeah. really uh, taking that permission that apparently I needed to just go, oh, yeah, I can do this. Oh, all right. Thank you. I will. <laughs> so awesome. I think it's interesting to hear you're you're saying it and I've been, definitely been around theater people. I was in like a few theater productions but not like a theater. I wasn't like 
the theater guys <laughs> that were that I worked at Dairy Queen with. Um, but it's so interesting the dynamic here, and I want to call attention to it for the listeners out there too, of like the the labels that we give things like the nerdiness of theater space. I want you to articulate what you mean by that, because I want people to hear that actually what is like that nerdiness and the kind of like the, you know, cause I'm definitely like in that creative performance. I just don't like memorizing lines. I guess that's my differentiator, but the things that make like a theater nerd, a theater nerd are pretty much my favorite things about those humans. Usually. <laughs> Can you tell me what you, when you're thinking about yourself as being like, mm, I've got all my like theater nerdiness, like tell me more about what that means to you. To me, it means that I live, breathe and consume as much as possible in the theater realm. Like there's every book that I have, I have a wall behind this that is just bookshelves from floor to ceiling, majority, 99% are theater books. I have theater books on my desk. I like watch videos of actors and their strategies and techniques. I work in theater. But the crazy thing to me is I've never felt like I fit into theater or fit into the corporate world. Cause I'm also really strategic and I do business strategy. Even now I do business strategy for companies that are trying to break into the accountant space. And mm -hmm. so I've always felt like I was this person that was kind of teetering both worlds, but super fascinated by both equally. And so mm -hmm. when I say nerdiness, I have a nerdiness on the strategy business side as much as I do in my theater side. I could just consume things all day long. If I could be a professional student, I think I would do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, let me learn all this. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that because I feel like a lot of people can probably resonate with that passion for something, whatever it, it happens to be. And what I really am drawn to in like performance space specifically, especially when we're talking about like people needing to share their stories, needing to make sure I slow down on that. People need to share their stories. And the beautiful world that's created in theater is, you know, when a good story is being told and people are bringing scenarios and characters to life so that we're able to hopefully expand our empathy and think about things differently. And the whole world is like vibrant because of the creative forces behind it. And, um, and I don't want people to take that for granted and I don't want people to take advantage of that. Oh, I see Jeanette's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. also, um, I'm also a theater nerd. Misty, I live in that space in between um, the arts and the corporate world as well. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think it's funny because people look at theater and they look at it and they think it's entertainment. It's an entertainment space. It's where we go. It's the last thing on our hierarchy of needs is to be like entertained. But what they don't realize is the reason people are entertained by theater is because it is watching people relate to each other and getting to experience catharsis by watching someone go through something that you can relate to. And so when we, um, the three of us on this call and anyone who takes the skills that we learn in theater and performance into the real world, um, we're basically teaching people instead of watching it and saying, Oh, this is, I'm learning from this. I'm, I'm emoting from this. We teach them how to do that themselves and like have those conversations 
and have those experiences that it's easier to watch somebody do that and think, oh, that would never happen to me or I would never be able to handle that. So we are teaching people how to handle that because Mm -hmm. it is the things that we experience. It's how we relate to each other. It's how we like grow old and, you know, go through heartbreak and fall in love and deal with grief and all of that stuff. So that's my um, theater in the real world piece. <laughs> Jeanette, I love it so much. To me, I, I, I absolutely agree. It's so cathartic. And I remember I had uh, worked on West Side Story and my parents came to see it. And it was probably the first time I've ever seen my dad cry. Mm. Just watching the show And the fact that it can help us just stir some sort of emotion inside of us and pull that out, there's nothing better to me. Like the reason I stopped being on stage so much in theater is I was no longer like nervous anymore. And without that nervous energy, you're actually not focused enough to do a good job. (laughs) So I was like, Mm -hmm. okay. So I I stopped and I just became full-time director and choreographer. And to me, that's, I still get the nerves. I have a show that I'm like working right now on. And I just, I like hope that they laugh at the things that we've created. I hope that they like get their heartstrings pulled. And when you hear that collective laugh of like a thousand plus people, Mm. just, there's nothing better. There's just nothing better than joy emoting from a space in unison, or even like that heartstring of hearing people like sniffle in the audience. It just, I live for it. I absolutely live for it. Mm. Amen. It's, it's so interesting too, how much people, I, I mean, they're in it in that moment. And like, what do you feel like are things that it like becomes an opportunity for people to like learn and grow about themselves? Like, what do you see from people that are able to like, invest in it more than just sitting back and watching. Yeah. And do you mean in the speaking realm or the theater realm? <laughs> Maybe yeah. both. What, whichever comes to mind. I don't know. I think it goes back to that. What we were talking about early of just, you can't tell a good story, whether it's about your life or a third party that you're bringing in without really that self-observation of how it makes you feel. And we can't, the subtext in our tone communicates how we feel on things. So if we don't have the right tone for it, then the auditory cue to the audience is like, how how do you want me to feel? But it's that self-observation and going, okay, if it is a third party story, like Malcolm Gladwell, I've seen him speak multiple keynotes and he is so phenomenal. And how think he's ever told his own story on stage when I've seen him. It's like been like a band or some scientist or something else. But he takes you on such a vocal journey because mm-hmm. you can tell like when he's talking about hardships, he he can tell in his voice that he's feeling that. But without that self-observation of knowing what if you were in their shoes, What would you be feeling? What would you be going through? And I know for some of the speakers I work with, it's a real big challenge for them because they're such even-keeled people, which amen to that. We need a bunch of even-keeled people. 
I may not be one of them. <laughs> I'm like, I will cry with you. I will laugh with you. <laughs> like, even right. But to get them to go there, it takes a lot of work and a lot of digging in order to do that, which is also why I went and take took counseling courses just because I was like, oh, that's mm -hmm. deeper than what I can help with right now. But to me, <laughs> if you don't have that self-awareness and you're not able to tap into it, it becomes much harder to talk to an audience and pull them into the story too. And really it's all yeah. about the audience and their experience. It, nothing to do with us. 100%. I don't know if people like it or hate it when they hear that because I often remind people in, you know, in the speaker space, it's like, it's not about you. Like you need to be a great speaker and it is about the audience. So don't forget that it's only about them and it must resonate with them. Um, yeah. What do you have? Do you find a lot of people are resistant about wanting to share their stories or yeah. like, having the the brave I don't there's a lot of bravery I think in coming to like a willingness of sharing a story especially if it's vulnerable and then and also some people that like don't think they that their story is worth sharing like it's not good enough yeah I don't know if I have a resistance or bravery I was joking with my editor we're working on my book and I said I just get such amazing humans that come my way and she goes well to be fair it's what you put on social media <laughs> like you're not going to get a bunch of grouchy humans after they see what you put out there in social i'm like okay fair enough but i i'm very lucky that i get a lot of people that are willing to tell me their stories and be vulnerable it's for me sometimes because i am that person that just feels with them it's like okay missy you can't cry more than they do i'm just like ah. Like, I just want to hug people with some of the stories that are shared in this space. Right. But I will say that I have a lot of people that know, know in their heart that they want to make a bigger impact than what they are making, mm -hmm. but they don't know what to be sharing. And so I really do feel like I'm somebody that just asks and asks and asks and digs and digs and digs. And then there's a moment that always happens for me that I get full goosebumps and I go, oh, this is what they should be talking about. Like this. Oh, yeah. And so then we start digging in a little bit more. And then I see them have the aha of like, I should be, this is what I should be sharing. And I'm like, yay. Yeah. <laughs> it's just this yumminess of, of just let me keep digging. Like that's the first idea is usually not the greatest one because it's like, oh, that's common knowledge. So let's let's keep curating until you you find it, find the gold. Yeah. And I love, I really love that. And for the listeners out there, like, especially people, if you're, if you're doing, um, you work in a job that you love or you've created a job that you love because a lot of people, at least in my space are, um, kind of the entrepreneurial type. And a lot of times when they're coming in, like you said, they, they know there's something more, they want to make a bigger impact. Of course, they want to be able to expand their reach to, help their business too. Obviously the speaking yeah. platform can do a, a tremendously positive thing for business. And it is so fun when sometimes people don't quite know yet what that story is or what the, what that turning point was and they have an idea. And then the really magical parts are when they realize it's, 
in so many ways, very directly connected to what their profession is. It's like, that's why you're so passionate about this X, Y, Z deliverable. And it's like, ding, 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 you know, we're winning. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And, and finding, yeah, it's really finding the balance. Cause I definitely like in my speaker space, it's really about merging some sort of tenderness. There's got to be like a moment, something that is going to draw the crowd in to see that human side and some powerful tools that they can implement to be better humans. And, um, and it's really a fun, scary, delightful journey (laughs) when people are like, Oh, Oh, this is way more deep than I thought. I I don't have any, I don't have any, uh, certifications or credentials. I just, uh, trigger people and I'm like, bye. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, I I like that. I was like, Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, I really did start shifting some of the things I used to do in my improv workshops in the workplace. Cause I was like accidentally triggering people on this one activity that I would do. That was like these touch points from memory, their memories and stuff. And I was like, Oh, 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 anyway. Cause yeah. that's what we all want. Yeah. We want connection. We want the connection. We don't want the triggering. We want the connecting. <laughs> That's the trigger moment. Like, well, right when we when I used to teach theater, and I was teaching the students how to cry on stage and go there. Mm -hmm. That it was a big thing, right? To be able to get to that state where you can cry naturally and not just lose it on stage because you've gone to a too dark of a place and you're now can't say your words because you're just like right. going into the ugly cry. And so it is that that fine tune. And I tell, you know, even some of the people that I work with that are just telling gut-wrenching stories, they're they're worried about crying on stage. And I was like, if it doesn't come, don't force it because there's nothing worse than that. And if it does mm. come, like move through it and take a breath when you need to. Like audiences understand that. And it's just a matter of like, oh, well, I want to cry at this moment. How do I do that? I'm like, I could teach you, but that's not right for public speaking. <laughs> like, it just feels manipulative. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you're going to cry, like, it'll come out. If you're not going to cry, it's okay. Right. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Nothing more awkward than forced emotions. Yeah, we have a speaker in our world that every year on the same line, he cries on the keynote stage. And it's like, oh. Yeah. interesting that is that is so interesting um so there's a piece of advice that you um offered that I want to touch on so you said in uh, your intake form here that you don't have to wait for an invitation to be on stage for you to share your message and you can create your own stage yes talk to me more about your your grand vision for that when people are like oh my gosh I want to speak I need but you know a lot of times people speakers are like I'm going to build this beautiful website and people are going to come just like googling me up and and <laughs> here's my stage and I'm like Mm-mm, it's not exactly like that wow. <laughs> but I don't want to I don't want that to deter people so t- talk to me about like the bigger vision of like how can people really step into creating their own opportunities I, I've been on this mission especially in the last year or so where humans propose a speech to an event and I've been on the producer side of an event. So it's just like, Hey, (laughs) we make decisions for all different reasons. 
And mm -hmm. I just see when they don't get chosen, they just kind of deflate. Because mm. I thought, oh, this was the perfect pitch and I spent so much time crafting it. And to me, you have no idea why it wasn't chosen. It could just not fit in the lineup or they had somebody else that they already agreed to and put a contract together for that had a similar thing. And so it just mm -hmm. is a matter of how they're curating it. And that being said though, if you are so pulled to be sharing that message, the world out there has given us so many different platforms to do so. Yeah. Every yeah. single social media platform has a video component now. Every mm -hmm. single like newsletter, anything you could think of has a moment where you can just start sharing your message. So honestly, as an event producer, if I don't know you as a speaker, guess what I'm doing first? I'm going to all of these different platforms to see how you speak, what your message is really about, because that paragraph that you submit to me isn't always enough if I do not know you. And mm -hmm. so you have to take advantage of the other stages and platforms out there because that's what they're doing to say, oh, I don't know who Misty is. Like, let me go search that out and let me go bend your feed for a quick second to see if it's somebody I want to move to round two. You have to take advantage and just share that message, especially if it's something that you're like, this needs to be out in the world. Then, yeah, don't wait for a yes on a keynote stage or a breakout session to share it and go, okay. Mm -hmm. Like, musicians don't, like, if they don't get a producer to produce their songs, it's not that they stop writing music. Yeah. And there's so much value in the practice, the reps, like by the time my, my students will get to like the 12th week of our, co our cohort type of vibes, mm -hmm. it's like these reminders of you got to keep flexing your storytelling muscles and like maybe you pull one little blurb out of your speech or whatever and then you practice just that one on like a live stream or a reel or whatever and like I love hearing it from your perspective of seeing it as the producer and obviously you do like the coaching and do a lot of different elements and you know all those moving parts um but it's a long game and we do have all of these resources that we could we're a click away from global connection yeah. and for people to just be able to jump on and check out a video and see, see how you're sharing. And I, for one, I'm like, I remember when Facebook live first was coming out and I was like, Ooh, this is interesting. This seems like a dangerous tool to give me. <laughs> I was going through my divorce at the time and I was like live streaming definitely incoherently not work related stuff. And yet it got me really comfortable with just the human connection, sharing stories, doing it from like a, what I still had the intention of like uplifting and connecting when I was in a season of really needing connection. And I didn't always have like friends and family to hang out with. So I would just like get on social media and the practice though, for like, as the following, I don't even have a giant following now. And yet the relationship depth is there for people to see the vulnerability and and how those things kind of build our little resume and i feel way more comfortable of course now on video because i just put in a yeah. lot of reps too so yeah just make your platform people it's there for exactly. the take exactly and you never know i i say to my women a lot that you you are probably the person that somebody else needs to see mm. in order to know that they belong in the space as well and mm. so 
just making sure that it's like, hey, you're not helping somebody 10 steps behind you. You're helping somebody that may be three or four steps behind and just giving them a hand up. And so if we stop making it about ourselves, like we talked about earlier, of like, it's mm -hmm. all about me. It's really, it's all about the human and the impact that you want to create in the space. What do yeah. you help others achieve? How can you shorten their path to success? And those are the types of things that you should be sharing of like, what, what is it that stirs inside of you that if like, oh, if they only knew this, like, yeah. grab a mic and go for it. 100% go for it. There's going to be that one person. You don't need thousands of followers and millions of followers. You just need that one person that was like, I needed to hear that today. Thank you. Yeah. Totally. How can people connect with you? What what kind of goodies you have going on? I know you have like some different free resources to help people get started. Like, do you have some things that um, are available? Like, what what are some good first steps if people are hearing hearing yeah. all about Misty for the first time and they're like, mm, I need more of her energy <laughs> in my life? What, uh, what are some ways? Yeah. How do we invite people into your world, Misty? Yeah, I'm on all the social media platforms, uh, either at Theater of Public Speaking or Misty Mejia. My website is at Misty Mejia. We have tons of resources that are free. I give a lot away. <laughs> we even have free education out there. I just am such a believer of, of give, 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 give. And so, yeah, if they have a need for figuring out like a quick outline, I know for me, I have an accelerated outline that is like a 15 minute outline that I had to develop in order to do press junkets. And mm -hmm. so there's a lot of different free resources on my website to just come and consume and join mm -hmm. the party. Feel free to follow me on social. I'm very engaged. I just love on humans a lot. So be prepared that if you jump on there, like, <laughs> It's a lot of love yeah. <laughs> and, and silliness and silliness. We try not to take ourselves too serious over here. Oh man. Yeah. That's a must. If yeah, you're yeah. taking yourselves too seriously, folks, hit, hit <laughs> either of us up personally and we will help you giggle your way out of your seriousness. <laughs> right. They're probably not listening if they're a serious crowd. <laughs> That's true. There's people, or there could be some that are just like, she's not going to get me to crack. It's my, I'm going to just, I'm going to listen to this episode, this episode. That, nope. She's not going to make me happy. Nope. Not, not today. There won't be a smile. Challenge accepted. Um, and you work, do you work with groups as well? Sometimes like, I mean, people can bring you into like a leadership team or like what, what kind of, uh, or is that like not one of your favorite spaces? What, it, what's your, is, is it more like one-on-one -on -one or what are your favorite places to be in with people? I, I, I really love it all. I love it all. I do for the teams. Typically what we do is we actually, I work with everybody from the customer service side to the CEO side. So we can really create good communication channels. Like sometimes even in like the sales team or marketing team, they don't understand their numbers. So sometimes it's a different conversation oh, yeah. other than just yeah. strategies for public speaking. But then we always do a group component to that. There's nothing better, I think, than watching every human within an organization learn at the same time and all be on square one together and learning something mm. new. It yeah. just creates such equality in a space. And if the leaders, which I usually talk to them beforehand, like they have to lead the way and being vulnerable and going there in order mm -hmm. for the rest of the team to go, oh, this is okay to just be wild and crazy and have fun. I truly see the trans, the biggest transformation though in one-on-ones. 
because okay. of the safe space of it just being them that they can talk through some of the pieces that are holding them back from their success or from their story or from just being a hundred percent themselves. And to me, having that really safe space for people to just go there and then work through it, seeing that transformation for me is addicting. It is so addicting mm -hmm. to the body language from just being curled up and not being able to make eye contact with me. I had one woman that was like this the whole time Yeah, for the first two meetings. And now seeing her just run the engineering department, like it ain't no thing. I just, oh, wow. I can't get enough. <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh. I love it. My friends, if you are listening and you are feeling a pull, this is your call to do something about it. <laughs> Misty, thank you so much for taking the time to bring your enthusiasm and your expertise into this space. Um, I really appreciate you bringing so much magic and dropping the delicious bombs of deliciousness. <laughs> I don't just sound like a crazy person. Oh, such a pleasure to meet you. It is such a pleasure to meet you too. I just am obsessed and I love what you're doing out in the world and what you're putting together. It's just incredible. So thank you for creating the space and a platform. Awesome. Well, thank you. Back at you. And thank you everyone for listening to another episode of the I Hardly Know Her podcast. Of course, you can check the notes to find all of the goodies uh, to connect with Misty. Um, and if, yeah, seriously, I joke about it. But if and when you are feeling that pull to share stories or to elevate your ability to be a really good leader, not only like a title in the workplace, but truly a leader in your life, in your home, um, as an individual, as you forge ahead and become the person that you really want to be in this one chance at life, uh, check things out. Look at the options. I'm such a huge fan of having coaching and different people in your corners. And I really like to bring people who are in the same vein because maybe I'm not the right fit. Maybe Misty's going to be the right fit or maybe you're going to just search around a little bit. Uh, but if you're looking for those tools that will help you to be the best character in your performance of your life, uh, then reach out. Check out the notes for all the ways to connect with Misty. Um, and you can, of course, find Jeanette and myself at improvteamculture.com. And we have a really exciting event coming up in Boise, Idaho, November 15th. Um, if you want to just come be part of the audience and learn powerful communication skills um, and check out some of my really fantastic speaking clients taking the stage and recording some of their uh, speaker assets, it's called Captivate Leadership Communication Summit. We'll be in the heart of downtown Boise all day, November 15th. Tickets are on sale now. Uh, and we can't wait to have that room full. And thank you so much for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to the I Hardly Know Her podcast. For information about leadership workshops, public speaker training, and all things kooky Megan, check out improvteamculture.com. We'll catch you next time.